This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Alex Welsh. Alex is the U.S. Federal Lead for Data Analytics Consulting at Gartner Consulting. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Roger. I'm looking forward to this conversation, and and it's all about decision-making and how the challenges associated with decision-making currently and how to improve that with uh, decision intelligence. Um, So we'll get to all that, but uh, first I wanted to ask you a little bit about your background, how you came to Gartner and then also Gartner Consulting, you know, what is that and, and, and how do you serve your, your clients? Yeah, certainly. So um, I've been with Gartner Consulting for a little over, goodness, 10 years now. Um, I came to Gartner after um, almost 10 years of previous federal um, intelligence community, DOD and civilian experience. I have a background in engineering. I have an undergrad in mechanical engineering, a master's of engineering, concentrating in information management. Um, and I really came to Gartner to grow my expertise in data analytics um, and ultimately AI. Um, and I think I've done a pretty good job in the last 10 years uh, doing that. I am both a practitioner of data and analytics and a contributor um, to, to Gartner research and our body of knowledge related to data analytics and AI. So um, Gartner overall, we are the world's leading research and advisory firm. We have 16,000 employees worldwide. Last year in 2020, we did about $4.1 billion in revenue, um, just to give your, your listeners kind of a, a sense for how large we are. Um, many of them will think of Gartner, those who know us, um, as a technology and IT research firm. And they wouldn't be wrong about that historically. Um, that has been true. Um, But with our recent acquisition of Corporate Executive Board, or CEB, um, we now support or provide research insights to um, pretty much every business function and the entire C-suite. 75% of the global 500 consumes our research on a daily basis. But we are more than just research. Um, Gartner has a large events business, um, most recently a virtual events business, Uh, We have a line of business around digital markets, um, and that's really a portfolio of websites and capabilities that are designed to connect small and medium businesses with search capabilities that help them identify the technologies and capabilities that they need to fuel their business. Um, And then, of course, we have Gartner Consulting, and that is the, the aspect of Gartner that I'm representing today. Um, and in Gartner Consulting, we actually, we apply Gartner research to real client problems. We are rolling up our sleeves to advance the mission critical priorities of our clients. If you think about sort of what consulting firms do, um, you can think about their services on a continuum. On the one hand, you might have pure play strategy type companies. On the other end of the spectrum, you can think about implementation type organizations, technology 
implementation type organizations. At Gartner Consulting, we're really in the middle of that. We focus on strategy, um, usually related to technology-enabled initiatives, um, but we also help our clients implement those strategies, enabling value realization, accelerating their path to success. Um, But it's important, I think, that I mention in that, that Gartner Consulting, we do not implement technology. Um, And we're very deliberate about that. And the the reason we don't implement any technology is to maintain our research objectivity. Our researchers, they they write about the vendors and technology marketplace. um, And we're allowed to do that. And we have a position of clout in our ability to do that because we are agnostic. We're impartial. Um, We do not have preferred vendors or vendor partners. And you know what, as it turns out, clients like us for that, right? Um, they like to do strategy with Gartner Consulting because of our independence and objectivity. We, we don't have any downstream implementation interest. Um, and even in our execution exa- engagements, when we're st- sitting side by side with a client for, on their implementation journey, we're not biased about the technology um, that they're implementing. We may have opinions about you know, which are better for that particular situation, but we don't have any preferences. And the last thing I, I just want to say quickly, a couple things I want to say about um, our consulting practice is that we work in every industry but we also have a large presence in U.S. federal. Um, We do about 40 engagements every year across DOD, um, the intelligence community, um, and civilian agencies. A little bit maybe about what we're doing in the U.S. federal data and analytics practice for your listeners. Uh, We have three primary services. Um, The first is around data analytics and AI strategy. And in this service, in this offering, our goal is really to help the government put data and analytics to work to deliver real mission value. Um, We want to help them scale their AI capabilities to really move the needle in an innovative way. Um, And personally, um, it's really important to me that I help the government on its journey um, and maybe accelerate their journey to becoming a, a data-driven enterprise and really helping um, our U.S. federal uh, clients appreciate that that is a transformation. Um, becoming a data-driven enterprise um, may seem aspirational, but we all need to be on the path to get there because it's going to be expected um, over the course of the next five to 10 years. Another service um, that, we, that we focus on in, in the U.S. federal space is, is what we call value realization. That's execution. It's helping our clients execute their strategies, whether or not we help put that strategy in place. Um, that could look like, you know, um, helping a client deploy their data governance structure and scaling up with respect to data and analytics governance. Um, We're helping agencies think about data literacy, building their data literacy programs and journeys and executing them, operationalizing um, their data talent workforce, deploying architecture and technology capabilities, uh, et cetera. And then um, Roger, why why I'm here today is really to talk about our third service, uh, which we call decision intelligence. And that service is all about of helping the government reimagine decision making in the context of, of 2021. Right. So I think I'd like to start just talking about the challenges in an increasingly complicated world senior leaders or, or any organization has and in, in, within the government or outside the government has in, in trying to make effective decisions and how those decisions 
impact the organization and just what you see as the challenges. Because one of the interesting um, notes that in reading some of the background materials is that 65% of uh, respondents to a survey say that their decisions are more complex mm-hmm. than, than they were just two years ago. And I can't imagine just in the world we live in now, coming out of COVID and the way that, you know, and the economy's changing, work is changing, all these things are changing. You know, can you talk about the complexity and what those challenges are? Yeah, um, I, th- I think I'd like to start out by saying decision-making is so important. If you think about it, the quality of the decisions that are made within an organization directly impacts how successful that organization is going to be. And when I say quality decision-making, I mean either decision-making that consistently produces a desirable outcome Um, Or it can mean decision-making that leverages a consistent, deliberate decision process, even if you don't get a good result. Um, And the idea there is that you could learn from it, right? You could learn from your mistakes, get better, tweak your decision process. Decision science and decision management has been around a long time. I think I should be clear to your listeners, we're not inventing anything truly new here, right? Sure. Um, I think I took a, uh, I know I took a graduate school course about 17 years ago, and the title of the course was Making Hard Decisions. And there's a whole textbook and all kinds of strategies for doing that, um, statistical methods, what have you. Um, And even that textbook at the time was outdated. I mean, it was old. So Mm -hmm. I'm not claiming here that we're on the precipice of a new idea. People have known about this a long time. Um, And yet 50% of decisions, I want you to know, um, within organizations are still made using gut and experience. Um, And and here's where we get to to the why now part. Um, Gertner thinks that that situation, making half of your decisions based on gut and experience just isn't going to cut it anymore. And that's where, and you're right, um, there's three reasons that we think are causing that. Um, And the first is that decisions are becoming far more complex than they used to be. We are um, living in an increasingly complex and dynamic world, um, and our decisions are, you know, gaining complexity right along with it. Um, And when we talk about decision complexity, if you'll bear with me for a moment, um, we think about the three C's. Um, The first one is that decisions are becoming more connected. Um, No longer can you say that a single decision stands alone the output of one decision probably affects many more or could affect many more decisions, right? And so if you want to make an improvement to one, you need to consider the impact of the entire ecosystem. And Alex, right there, we'll get to the other two Cs when we come back from the break, and then we'll continue the discussion about decision intelligence and where you guys are taking it and how how you're supporting your, your clients. My guest today is Alex Welsh. She is U.S. Federal Lead for Data Analytics at Gartner Consulting. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron, and my guest today is Alex Welch. Alex is the U.S. Federal Lead for Data Analytics Consulting at Gartner Consulting. I got that right that time, right, Alex? You did. You did. Yeah, okay, great. Thanks. Um, and we at, towards the end of the segment, we start talking about um, decision making, the challenges um, with it in an ever increasingly complex world, and you, we you were looking at and talking about the three C's. And you start, you know, in terms of 
why it's more much more complicated. Can you get back to connected? I think that's the one you were talking about when we took the break. I was talking about how um, decisions are connected. No decision stands alone. The next C in decision complexity is that decisions are increasingly more contextual. We live in a contextual world. Customers, employees, citizens, stakeholders, everybody, we're all expecting personalized, in some ways, hyper-personalized interactions in our work and in our personal lives. And that means that the decisions that are made need to be contextualized from situation to situation. Lots of nuance there. And and then the third C is really that decisions need to be more continuous. Organizations need to be able to respond quickly, make decisions at scale, and yet at the same time, keep their options open in case of changing dynamics. So decisions, just to summarize quickly, they're more complex because they're more connected, more contextual, and more continuous. Now, there's other reasons why we think decision intelligence and decision making are uh, more prevalent today, or it's a more opportunistic moment for decision making. And that is because collaborations between AI and humans, especially with respect to decision making, are becoming far more common. There was a time not too long ago where people were kind of like, AI, what is that? I don't know if I trust it. But that's really changing. Um, And that leads to three ways that we see decision-making and collaborations with with AI occurring today. The first is there's an opportunity to augment our decision-making with AI. And an augmented decision is one where humans and machines collaborate on a decision. Um, And that could either be the machine making a suggestion and the human deciding. We, ha- we all have experience with this. Um, your, your day-to-day recommendation engine that's telling you to buy lots of things, right? Um, that is an augmented decision scenario. Um, there's another one that's a little bit less common um, where the human suggests and the machine decides. Um, and you can think of uh, an example of this could be, let's say you're trying to more equitably pay your employees. So you might have a machine actually making an employee pay decision to remove bias based on human provided pay guidance. So that's one type of AI enabled decision type. Um, Another one is actually to automate the decision um, using AI. Um, And automation is is typically best um, when you have a low impact decision that needs to be made quickly or hyper-frequently. And and it's important to know not all decisions can be automated. Right, right. Um, And not all decisions that can be automated should Should be, right. (laughs) On principle, right? Um, And I think of something, uh, an example in your world could be agency and GAO protest decisions. There's so much nuance there um, that that decision really dictates an unencumbered human response. You don't want to automate that. And then I would be remiss if I didn't mention that even though we're at this moment where AI um, can be so lucrative to decision-making, some decisions will just always be inherently human. Gartner believes that even those, though, could potentially be improved with a more thoughtful design of the human factors and how data and analytics um, are brought into that decision-making process. If we were a little more strategic and thoughtful, um, even about how our human-based decisions are made. 
So, you know, just on the the use of the data, I'm, I'm thinking about it in the context of like, we just had a b- recent event and then we'll, we go back and look at the data to try to understand how we can ap- improve the event. And that's mm-hmm. just, that's feedback from folks. That's, you know, who's coming, who isn't coming, you know, the speakers and all that, that sort of thing. How do you ensure you get good data in? Is that, I mean, it, you, you've talked a lot about the data, but you know, your, your decision's only as good as the data. Is that fair to say, or, or the analytics that are done in support of the data? So are there fundamentals that, that you think about when you're trying to put together this decision-making yeah. model? Yeah. Um, wow. You're bringing up um, <laughs> something that I, that I tell people about all the time that, that may come as a surprise. Let me just say, data-driven decision-making is the number one thing I hear from chief data officers right. over and over again. Everybody wants this. So people have been trying to get at it for a while. Um, and for a long time, data and analytics leaders, they really took what I would call a bottom-up approach or a data-driven approach. <laughs> um, so and you'll, you'll understand why I'm saying that. Um, and the assumption there is they assumed that if I give a decision-maker high-quality data, and analytics tools or dashboards or reports or whatever it is, then good decision-making will ensue, (laughs) right? And this is the reason why a lot of data management and analytics programs historically have focused on data quality, access, dashboards, you know, the technology elements. Right. And that's what I, I, you know, that you're right on what I was thinking. It's like, oh, if I got good data, I'm like a good decision, but continue. Yeah, it turns out that's not true, and it almost never happens. Um, and, and the reason for that, if I could paint a, a bit of a picture for your listeners, um, good data and tools, while well-intended, kind of leads the decision-maker to, to what I imagine is this gulf or this cliff. Um, and on the other side of the gulf is the good decision result that you want. And unfortunately, there's really no bridge in between. What the stuff that's in the gap, I'll put it that way, um, happens to be a lot of things. One, decisions are more complex, as I said, and dynamic than we think they are. So the the individuals providing the good data and the tools, they make assumptions. They're oversimplifying the decision in their mind. Turns out human bias gets in the way, um, even in the data that a decision maker may select to inform their decision. Um, unfortunately, the data that's required these days for decision making is complex in and of itself. It requires increasingly um, more integration, right? <laughs> um, and then the last thing is often overlooked, and that is that the decision maker themselves may lack the data and analytical literacy that they need to take those data and those tools and transform them into an insight that leads to an action. Yeah, that would be me. So. <laughs> Uh, it turns out it's a lot of people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so we have a philosophy actually on how to resolve that. And the answer to your question, how, you know, how do you actually turn that data into a good decision is to take a top down approach, a, a decision first approach that focuses on the decision itself in context and not the data. And to actually um, think strategically about how you want that decision to occur in nature, right? And um, the way you do that is you develop a decision model. You plan for how that decision will be made. Um, And hopefully um, you're thinking about, do I want this decision to be augmented, automated? 
is this an inherently human-based decision that I need to think more thoughtfully about how to bring human factors and data and analytics together? And it turns out, if you do that, that's how you fill up that decision gap. If you design deliberately for this specific decision context, you're addressing the complexity as part of the design, and you're accounting for the, um, the presence or absence of any data literacy capabilities that decision maker may have. Yeah, so you're kind of going, you, you had that gap there, so you're starting on the other side, the top side, mm-hmm. and working right, to create you know, the decision-making. I, I would do like decision-making tree in a certain sense to me, like all the mm-hmm. different factors that go into it. But you know what, Alex, we're right up on the break. So when okay. we come back, we'll continue this discussion of uh, how, re- how you re-engineer decision-making. My guest today is Alex Welsh. Alex is the U.S. federal lead for data analytics consulting at Gartner Consulting. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Alex Welch. Alex is a U.S. federal lead for data analytics consulting at Gartner Consulting. And we've been talking about reengineering decision-making, you know, the, the challenges of, of real-world decision-making in the 21st century to be sort of cliche a little bit, but it's, it is true. And, and especially things uh, uh, in in the world seem to change even faster and faster, and especially for all types of organizations, including the federal government. And Alex, one of the things that I wanted to, to have you talk about is how you all support and what you do with regard to advising your, your clients, you know, and, and to gain the federal space and, and what you're doing to help improve decision-making. Sure. Um, thanks for asking. So, in our consulting engagements, uh, really, the, the first thing that we want to do is help our clients understand the decision landscape in their environment, right? And help them identify and prioritize which decisions are good candidates for re-engineering, right? So, so that's kind of step one, you know, where should I be focused in my, my decision re-engineering efforts? Um, once we have identified good candidates for re-engineering, we actually work with our clients to develop new decision models. So so first we try to really, really understand how that decision occurs today. What are the humans in that decision doing? Um, Are they being collaborative? Are they making decisions on principle? Are they making it based on um, just experience in their heads, in their minds, right? Uh, Organizational-based expertise. Um, Maybe they're making using data and analytics. How are they doing that? Um, and then what, what we like to do is build a new decision model um, that really reimagines how that decision takes place, right? Um, we bring to the table, of course, because we're you know, primarily a research-based organization, um, insights related to AI opportunities, right? But we also think about you know, how, where and how could data and analytics be um, more eloquently infused into that data, um, excuse me, decision process to, to produce a, a better result. Um, and once we have that new decision model, um, we identify the, re- you know, the requirements, people, process, governance, technology, data, what needs to change in your environment in order to support that new decision model, Right. Um, and then what we, we might do is, is think about, you know, how might we pilot this new decision model um, and support that pilot, right? Um, change management is a huge component of this, right? Because we're talking about changing the way that we work. 
um, hopefully changing the way an important decision is made within our client's environment. Um, and then, of course, you know, once we've you know, maybe proven ourselves with one or two re-engineered decisions, um, we want to teach our clients how to do this, right? We want to help them build their capabilities around decision management so that they can th- start thinking um, continuously and strategically about how, um, how decisions are made in their organizations. We're really proud of this work, I should say. Um, as, as I mentioned earlier, decisions are really important. Uh, we feel that better decision outcomes lead to better mission outcomes, right? And, and there's all these ancillary benefits that come along with it too, right? I mean, you get higher quality, more defensible decisions. You, you remove bias, for example. Um, most of the time or often uh, there are cost savings and efficiencies uh, associated with looking at a decision process. Um, and, I, and I hate to say this, but I will because it, it is important to many of our clients. People are looking for opportunities to infuse AI and, and more modern um, capabilities into their agencies, right? Um, they're hunting for that. Uh, we hope that they do that in a way that also advances mission priorities. This is often a good way and space to make that happen. Right. One of the things that always fascinated me is when you are working with a client, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think culture comes into it too as well. If you're going to re-engineer or um, um, decision intelligence for an organization, mm-hmm. it obviously already has a structure in place of how it's making decisions. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that's driven perhaps in part by the culture of that organization. So, uh, you know, how do you address that or are sensitive to that? I mean, part of it in making change is showing how it's in the interest of people to change, to get better mm-hmm. outcomes. But is that something that, that, that you guys look at as well? hundred percent. So um, as I mentioned, the, the change management piece is, is always part um, of our engagements. We often, when we're thinking about decision intelligence and decision making, as I mentioned earlier, um, there is a data literacy component to that, right? And so how we um, help the workforce and the decision makers improve their data and analytics skills, um, that's an essential part of the process. Um, And then I'll be honest with you, um, these projects need to be led by very senior executives and and, um, leaders within an agency. They're the ones that are going to give you the the mandate to act, right? They're going to highlight the most important decisions. And so we we prefer to partner um, with the most senior levels to really drive the change. um, Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You have to get the, you know, the buy-in from the leadership mm-hmm. so, so that everybody else sees that, right? right. That's reality, right? So as you know, part of this too is, it seems to me, I'm just thinking I work for the government, is trying to, is identifying gaps in the information or, the, or how the information flows within organizations. Is that something that, you know, that, that you see is, is, I don't know if it's common, but I just, a bigger organization that has many moving parts you, part of it seemed to me is try to identify, making sure you're, you've closed the gaps and you're collecting all the information or using AI most effectively across the organization. Is that something that you've seen as a big, big challenge for larger institutions? Yes. Um, and so, so we like decision 
intelligence and decision making. Um, one, because like I said, we, we think it's so valuable, um, but it's also um, a really big opportunity to move the needle on foundational data management and analytics and AI capabilities. Um, and I should have mentioned earlier that we often also partner with chief data officers to do this sure. work. Um, and, and Gartner Research, um, we have research that shows actually our, our most recent CDO survey, which we do every year, um, shows that the most successful chief data officers are the ones that show value to the business. Um, a lot of CDOs, they focus their time on um, or they prioritize data quality, reliability, and access. Um, those are important things, but we have actual data that shows if that is your focus, you're actually 43% less likely to deliver value to the organization. Um, so what we want you to do um, is to identify those business and mission moments where you can deliver value, right? You can re-engineer a decision to be more effective and deliver a better mission outcome. And in, as part of doing that, you're identifying what the gaps in your data pipelines are. You're identifying where you have cultural issues. You're identifying where you need better AI capabilities or better analytic capabilities. Um, you might need to um, tweak your architecture and your infrastructure, right, to support um, this new decision model. So we really feel <laughs> that it's a, it's a big opportunity for, for every agency um, and for chief data officers in particular um, to show you know, direct impact to the mission while they're advancing requirements around you know, data management, maybe the things they're trying to do to support the Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act, uh, the federal data strategy, et cetera. So, so it's a big win. Yeah, and it seems to me something I'm hearing too, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but part of this improving you know, um, decision intelligence and, and working through these things you know, the, the ancillary or the you know, ripple effect of that is also just fundamentally helping organizations improve their business operations in their sense or how they, how organizational, organizationally, how they operate. It seems to be, would be an ancillary benefit as you're trying to improve the decision-making process. You, you improve the business rules and all that optimize, optimize things and that sort of stuff. Does that make sense? 100%. You nailed it. Great. Hey, you know what? At that point, we can take the break. And when we come back, we can talk about some examples um, in the federal space where Gartner Consulting is uh, supporting their client or just the things that you've seen. And we'll also like to talk a little bit more about AI and what that is, if you don't mind, Alex, because I'm a real lay person on, when it comes to that. So um, I just to ha maybe have a little discussion about that as well. My guest today is Alex Welch. She is a U.S. Federal Lead for Data Analytics Consulting at Gartner Consulting. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Alex Welch. Alex is the U.S. Federal Lead for Data Analytics Consulting at Gartner Consulting, and we've been talking about uh, re-engineering uh, decision intelligence and all the factors that go into that and, and how you go about doing it. And, you know, uh, with this segment, I want to start out, Alex, is just we walk through what how you support your 
your customers and clients in the federal space. And I wanted, wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about some of the examples, real life examples of, of where you've supported folks. Yeah. Well, there are so many, so many opportunities in the federal government to, to re-engineer the decision. I just, I want to put that out there for your listeners. I mean, you know, really any, any place where you're making a decision um, to support your mission, um, that, that's a potential opportunity. Um, and one of my favorite examples um, is not one that I've worked on personally. I, I'll make sure everybody knows that, but um, it, it's one that I like to use to paint the picture um, of, of what the art of the possible really is. And, and that one is associated with the industrial and personnel security mission um, in, in the DOD space. Um, and I think many of your listeners are familiar with this process, right, um, of you know, getting and maintaining a security clearance with, with the U.S. government. Um, and traditionally, um, the way that works, right, is you, you have an investigation, you get adjudicated, there's a decision that is made, either you're granted a clearance or, or you're not. Um, and then if you are, every so many years, that process repeats itself. Um, and everybody knows that that process um, was problematic. It resulted in um, very lengthy backlogs um, in terms of people awaiting clearances um, that ended up being costly for the government in a lot of different ways. Um, and so the government brilliantly, in my view, um, reimagined that decision um, and said, you know what, Um, we're going to continuously collect information about cleared personnel. We're going to continuously apply our risk indicators. um, And if one pops up, then that's going to trigger a reinvestigation event. Um, And in doing so, in reimagining that decision, the government um, not only eliminated or reduced the backlog, ultimately, it may actually do a better job identifying bad actors um, by allowing consideration of, of new data sets in the risk evaluation. Um, and I, I bring this example up because I think it can be applied almost anywhere in the federal government where the government is functioning in a risk assessment, supervisory, or adjudicator role. And there are so many of those, as you know. Um, So any of those decisions are are opportunities for re-engineering. One that- Alex, it's sort of my analogy when you describe that, what I was Mm -hmm. thinking about is like your credit rating, right? (laughs) Or or your credit monitoring, right? You know, to Mm -hmm. make sure you're, you know, and that risk associated with that, that's constantly information about, about you or your transactions or, you know, and that sort of thing comes in and you get reports or you get updates on your score that, that when you described that, that's what I was thinking of it. Absolutely. The assignment of a credit rating is a decision. Um, It just happens to be one that many of the credit bureaus um, make in in a more automated way. Right. (laughs) Right. That, That could be an example of an automated decision though. I am not, I no claims to be an expert in that process. Oh, neither do I. So, but I, yeah. I'm, so, I'm sorry you were, I interrupted, but that's what I just wanted to to share. That's what I was thinking because it is a, you, that was a great example. Do you have other examples of? I do. Um, and so because this is a, a procurement, you know, related podcast um, and I, by the way, I do not claim to be a procurement expert though. We have many at Gartner um, that I've been collaborating with to think about um, potential opportunities in federal procurement for decision intelligence. Um, and if you think about, you know, the pre-solicitation process, for example, is one that we've been focusing on. Um, there are decisions in that process 
that affect what the government will acquire, when acquisition activities will take place, right? And how those activities will be performed. Um, and my understanding is that these activities can become very complex and costly very quickly. Um, and that could lead to increased procurement acquisition lead time. Um, you might see ballooning acquisition costs even before the solicitation is released. Uh, it could result in poorly written requirements that, that ultimately erode the value of the program that you're supporting, right? So, so we're really thinking that there's an opportunity space to take a look at those decisions as well. Um, and and I, I do want to talk about some of the things that I've been doing lately um, with federal government um, clients. Sure. Yeah, and, and one of the, the most recent things is some work around re-engineering the talent and hiring process and the decisions um, related to that process, um, both to accelerate hiring timelines, uh, make it easier and faster to, to get someone onboarded, um, to actually expand candidate pools. Um, so we're including more, more opportunities, um, optimize candidate fit, and, and also reduce bias in hiring decisions. So, so that's, that's an area of work um, that we've been focused on lately. Right. Um, so Alex, I have to say, so as a former manager in government, if you can solve that problem, the HR problem, I, mean, I, think, you, I think it's a universal challenge throughout government. And if you guys can solve that problem, like more power to you. So go ahead. Yeah. So we agree. And, and I have to say, we love what we do. We've been having um, a marvelous time doing it. Um, there, there's a lot of exciting, um, exciting AI advancements in that space. Um, and honestly, beyond that, um, we feel, especially with this current administration's priorities around diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, that there are myriad opportunities really to think, rethink how DEI factors um, can and should be considered in decisions not only related to hiring, but more mission-forward decisions um, in our criminal justice reform and policymaking areas, right? Mm -hmm. um, maybe related to climate change and environmental justice, healthcare, housing, you know, mm -hmm. you, could, you could see where that would go. Right. I was thinking about sustainability and how, you know, AI and this re-engineering decision could play a big part is because, because what, what we'll see over the next year, you know, year is a rollout of you know, probably executive orders and other things focusing on sustainability. And those decisions will flow down to others to make other decisions about, you know, what requirements will be in contracts and all that kind of stuff. You could see a huge applicability down the road as well um, in that area in particular. So, um, and it's something we'll be definitely watching. So I wanted to ask you, you know, we got a couple minutes left um, in the show. And, you know, I mentioned um, AI at the, uh, at the end of the last segment and just sort of your sense and, and what you see, you know, how the federal government is, is a, adopting, utilizing, leveraging, or, you know, AI and, and, and where do you think it's, it's headed? Yeah. Um, so, so the first thing I would say is, you know, with respect to adopting AI, I, I think it's, it's going to be a necessity, our, our citizens and taxpayers are going to expect it, um, and our adversaries are doing it. Um, sure. So it's a matter of national security as well. Um, in, my, in my view and in my experience, most federal agencies are doing AI in, in some way, either as part of a, a deliberate activity or pilot 
maybe they have algorithms or predictive models in operation, um, or maybe it's embedded in software packages and, and things that they, they already use. Um, the, the area that I, um, I see the most challenge um, is really doing that at scale. Right. Um, there's a lot of people uh, in their garage, so to speak, <laughs> playing with right. AI. Right. Um, that's great. That's wonderful. You know, innovation is fantastic. We are um, interested in helping federal agencies really scale those um, capabilities, um, bringing together, you know, AI capabilities for the enterprise. And, and that's all part of um, what I mentioned to you earlier, being um essential to data-driven transformation, becoming a data-driven enterprise. So, uh, you know, I, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with AI capabilities in, in their own agencies, right? Sure. I, I think they exist. They're out there. Um, the next step is, is making it part of the fabric of, of how government works. Well, I think that's where, like, you, you can help with the decision intelligence on leveraging AI in the future, right? That's yeah, um, the, the point I, I would like your listeners, you know, to walk away with is a lot of agencies are searching for opportunities to bring AI to the table. Um, we want to do that thoughtfully, so it's not a solution in search of a problem. Right? So we think that uh, thinking about the decision and the decision itself could be um, a useful entry point to some of those experiments, really. Right. Great. And on that note, uh, Alex, it's, uh, we're done with the show. So thank you so much. It's great. That was great. I really enjoyed that. It's a lot of fascinating stuff and, you know, improving decision-making is, you know, across the board, but, you know, federal government, that's uh, to your point about, you know, national security and just where we are as a government, you know, it's the success of the nation, the world, the challenges we face in the world, you know, this is, this is critical work. So, I appreciate it. So I want to thank my guest today, Alex Welch. Alex is the U.S. Federal Lead for Data Analytics Consulting at Gartner Consulting. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.